We're in our second week here with the parables. Last week we looked at the sower, and we covered that one again. And this week we're on, we're going to be in the same chapter, in Matthew chapter 13, and we're going to pick up where Jesus left off after the parable of the sower. Just looking over some of last week's part here with the, with the sower, there were four different types of soil, but only one good soil. All the rest were bad. We need to be part of the good soil. It's not good enough to be a soil that allows the seed to grow somewhat. We want the seed to grow until it reaps a harvest. And the seed is the Word of God. The Word is to be sown on the inside of us, and it is the Word that is to bring forth fruit and to bring forth a harvest. But we have to embrace the seed. We have to make sure that the seed takes root, becomes part of us. It doesn't happen that way just because we ignore it or we think about it every once in a while. I've got to meditate on it. I've got to go over it and 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 understanding will come my way. But if the devil ever gets in our thoughts, well, you just can't know all that sort of stuff. That's just not something that's going to come to you. Then you won't embrace it this way. One of the reasons why I continually tell people you can understand everything that is written in the Bible. There is nothing in this Bible written that you are not to understand. Too many people have accepted the thought that, well, there's just some things in here we're not supposed to know or we can't know until later. Well, that's ridiculous. If God didn't want us to know it, He wouldn't have revealed it. If He revealed it in His Word, it's for us to know. When Daniel set out to find out some things about Israel and when they would uh, get out of their, their problem, get out of their um, uh, banishment, he sought after the Lord. And he found it in Scripture. And when you see it in Scripture, it's pretty plain, but apparently it had avoided them all this time. And when he did, he immediately sought after God. But now what's next? And immediately God brought the answer as to what was next. He's just waiting for somebody to ask. There's a whole lot of problems we have with the Word of God and it's just because no one has ever thought of the question to ask God. Once you think of the question to ask God, God says, oh yeah, well the answer is this. Oh, well, that makes sense. But we've got to go after the Word with that kind of idea that we can know it and that there's plenty in there to know. For us to learn. Well, we're going to pick up here with where Jesus did. Jesus had started teaching in parables. Teaching around those those folks that were in here before. Teaching around those folks that were uh, not all that good with the Word of God. They were trying to abuse it, trying to find Jesus, you know, a, a place to get Jesus hung up on. But here in verse 24, we're going to pick up right there and and uh, we, we entitled this called Parables of Warning. Parables of Warning. Too, too often we have looked at, too, some people have looked at these parables and not seen them as parables of warning, but parables of what would become. And it really changes the way that you look at these parables. But really when you look at it, all of them are parables of warning. Even the first ones we went over. Because it was more about a, a warning than was about anything else. Because in three of the aspects of the soul, he's given a warning. Don't do this. Don't become like this. Here's the good one. So there are three warnings and one, all right, this is a good way to go. But the rest of these, we have some, some warnings going on here. In verse 24, another parable he put forth to them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. So who sowed the good seed? The man who sowed, the man who owned the field, right? Who was the sower in the first parable? The sower sows the word. Well, 
he doesn't really identify as specifically as well this one. Aren't we all going out and sowing the word? Don't we all have to go out at a point and, and sow the word? Don't you sow the word that you know and expect it to bring a harvest and so forth? Well, he's going to identify who this particular sower is. But then he says, while, while men slept, not the man who sowed the seed, but while men slept, his enemy came. Whose enemy? The men? No, the man's enemy. The man who sowed the seed, his enemy came while the men slept. And sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. But when the grain had sprouted and produced a crop, then the tares also appeared. So the servants of the owner came and said to him, Sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have tares? He said to them, An enemy has done this. The servant said to him, Do you want us then to go and gather them up? But he said, No, lest while you gather up the tares, you also uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest, and at the time of the harvest I will say to the reapers, First gather together the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. So this is his, uh, his parable. Now this is the one he's going to explain. He's, he's going to explain this one the same way he did the parable of the sower. And let's just jump on down there to verse 34. All these things Jesus spoke to the multitude in parables, and without a parable he did not speak to them, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet, saying, I will open my mouth in parables, I will utter things kept secret from the foundation of the world. Then Jesus sent a multitude away and went into the house, and his disciples came to him, saying, Explain to us the parable of the tares of the field. He answered and said to them, He who sows the good seed is the Son of Man. Who is the Son of Man? It is not God the Father, is it? It is Jesus. He is the Son of Man. God the Father is not the Son of Man. Jesus, the Savior, is the Son of Man. So the one who sowed the seed is the Son of Man. We're not looking at repetitive sowings. We're looking at one sowing. This is different from the other one. There is one time that the man sowed into the field and there is one harvest. Sometimes we mix that up. We're just kind of mesh that into some other things. But this is distinct. It is the sowing done by the Son of Man and the harvest will be by whom? Well, he's going to identify who it is. The Son of Man is behind it, but actually other ones come in and do this. Um, verse 37. We left off. Uh, verse 38. The field is the world. The good seeds are the sons of this kingdom. But the tares are the sons of the wicked one. We're not just looking at the word being sown here, are we? This, the, the, the wheat that is sown and it comes up, these are actually representative of people. As the tares are then also representative of people. The field is the world. The good seeds are the sons of the kingdom. But the terrors are the sons of the wicked one. Who owns the field? The son of man. He owns the field. The field is the world. Who inherits? Who inherited this world as part of his inheritance? Jesus. So this is his his area, and and we are the the wheat. But among on the field are going to be tares. 
Does the Son of Man sow the tares? Does the Son of Man want the tares? No, He doesn't want the tares. He didn't want, if He wanted the tares, He would have sown tares. He didn't want tares. He didn't want that. The enemy who sowed them is the devil. <laughs> no, no question about that, is there? The enemy who sowed them is the devil. So the tares are the son of the devil. Sons of the devil. They're, they're his workers. The harvest is the end of the age. What age? Can't be the church age, can it? <laughs> Why can't it be the church age? Because there is no church yet. The age that they are in is what? The Jewish age. The end of the Jewish age is after the tribulation. That is the end of the age. When the disciples come and ask Jesus three questions on the end times, they say one of the questions is, when is the end of the age? What age? The age they're in. They don't know about the church age. They only know about the Jewish age. They're asking about when that time is to be ended. And Jesus answers them when the end of the Jewish age is. does not answer them when the end of the church age is because they didn't ask that. They didn't know that there was a church age to ask that it would end. So when he says the end of the age here, he's talking about the harvest that comes at the end of the tribulation, not the rapture of the church. So the enemy who sowed them is the devil, the harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are the angels. They're the reapers. The angels are the ones that are going to come on down and harvest at the end of the age. Therefore, as the tares are gathered and burned in, fi in the fire, so it will be at the end of this age. Now notice the angels come and gather the harvest at the end of the Jewish age, but who gathers the harvest at the end of the church age? Jesus does, not the angels. Jesus come to get His church. But at the end of the Jewish age, it's the angels. The angels are very much involved in the entire Jewish age. But during the church age, Paul says that angels long to look into these things. You see the difference? The Son of Man will send out His angels and they will gather out of His kingdom all things that offend and those who practice lawlessness and will cast them into the furnace of fire. There will be wailing and gnashing of teeth and the righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has an ear, let him hear. Now, Jesus' teaching is always extremely consistent because he knows a whole lot more than these folks even know to ask questions of. When Jesus teaches about the end of the age, because when the disciples come in Matthew 25 and they say, when will these things be? What will be the sign of your coming? And when will be the end of the age? Jesus answers all three of those questions. It takes two gospel writers to answer them. I think Matthew answers two of them and Luke answers the other one. If I have that, if I'm remembering that right, I think that's how it, how it goes. But when Jesus says there are two on a hill and one will be taken and one will be left... We've taught you before, that's not the rapture. And the one he is taking is the, the sinner. He's taking the sinner. Now here in this one, he's saying that first off, they go and take the what? The tares. They take the tares first before the harvest of the wheat. They take the tares, which is exactly what Jesus says before. Two will be on the hill. I'm going to first come and take the tare. And get it out of the way. 
and send them off to be burnt. And then what remains, that will be the harvest. He teaches exactly the same thing and yet we come up with different different teachings out of both of them. Again, Jesus cannot teach of the rapture of the church because Jesus had not taught of the introduction of the church. Which is why the rapture of the church is lacking in Jesus' writing. That was a hang-up for me. That's why it kept me in the, in the post-tribulation mode for a long time because Jesus never taught this. Until uh, my pastor down in Tulsa finally opened up that, that part there that uh, Jesus cannot teach the rapture of the church. It was Paul's job because Paul introduced the church. Therefore, Paul introduced also its rapture. Jesus merely answered the question the disciples asked about the end of this age. So, here's what we have. Here's the question. Why? This is the question that people ask all the time. How many times have we heard people ask this and they usually use this as a way to not believe in God, not believe in the church, and not believe in anything else they want to? Why has God allowed evil to infiltrate the church. Haven't you heard that? Why has God allowed evil to infiltrate the church? Folks, God answered, Jesus answered this question in this parable. I sowed good seed. The angels even came and said, didn't you sow good seed? Of course I sowed good seed. I sowed good seed. So what he put into the church, what, or put, what he put into the ground for the field, which would become the church, was good seed. But the enemy came and sowed bad seed. So first off, we put in here, have faith that the word is true. Just because there are terrors around doesn't mean that we should not have faith that the word of God is true. Just because the church has tares and it has wheat doesn't mean that the word isn't true. Doesn't mean that God isn't God. He's telling you about this 2,000 years ago. He said this, look out. There's going to be tares. The enemy will come in and he will sow tares. There is one sowing. There is one harvesting. The sowing is done by the Son of Man, which he did during his time of ministry here. When he did that sowing, that would continue on until the harvest, which would be at the second advent. That's how this, that, that is the context of this parable. So, Expect the enemy to show up. Expect it. The enemy is going to show up. Don't be surprised when you're sitting in church next to a tear. <laughs> Don't be surprised if somebody on the TV has been preaching the gospel for a long time turns out to be a tear. <laughs> Don't be surprised. It doesn't mean that all of them are bad. It means that Jesus warned you ahead of time, there will be tears. And there will be wheat. And they will grow up in the same plot of land side by side. But I didn't plant them all. But notice this. The angels could tell the difference. Now, this isn't exactly in the parable. But I'm going to throw this out to you extra from the New Testament teaching. Folks, you have access to information and things that the angels did not have. If the angels could tell the difference between a tear and a wheat, at some point in the process in the time, so can you. You can do the same. However, you must have the same attitude about tares and wheat that the Son of Man has. You must. Look at his attitude. The servant said, verse 28, 
Do you want us then to go and gather them up? But he said, No, lest while you gather up the tares, you also uproot the wheat with them. He is not saying you'll mistake the wheat and the tares. He apparently expects them to be able to tell the difference. At some point, they show the difference between a tear and a wheat. At some point, not in the beginning, but at some point in the process of their growing, you can tell the difference between a tear and a wheat. But by that point, the roots have become intertwined. And he says, if you pull out the tear, in doing so, you will inadvertently, not willingly, not trying to, uproot some of the wheat. And I, I don't want to do that. So I put this in your outline. This is important. This is so... You must get this down. If you don't understand this, then the question will perplex you for the rest of your life of why does God allow evil in the church? Get this. Jesus cares more about the wheat than you despise the tares. He cares more about the wheat than you despise the tares. How many of you don't like tares? The angels didn't like that. They didn't like the fact that tares were growing in our field. But Jesus cared so much about the wheat that He said, we'll, we'll let the tares grow until, until the end. We'll get them. We'll get every single one of them. We will pull every tear out. And in the end, there is no tear that's going to have part of this harvest. So you just let them grow together because I don't want to disrupt any of the wheat. That's what He does. So that's why tares and wheats are allowed to grow together. That's why tares and wheats are in the church together. But didn't Paul constantly warn us about false teachers? About false brethren? About false doctrine? Don't we have a whole lot of teaching in there to help us pinpoint what that would be? What a false brethren would look like? How they would act? What they would do? Didn't Jesus pull out the Pharisees and the Sadducees and other false people? Wasn't he able to tell the difference? Sure we can. There will be enemies, but God didn't plan them. God didn't put them here. But God cares so much about you that he would rather them continue on than for them to cause any harm to you. That's our God. He just cares that much. He does not want any harm. He knows there is a chance that some harm can come to you by pulling out that wheat or pulling out that tear too. <laughs> well, there's also the chance that a tear might, uh, a person who is false may turn and become one who's good. That is also a possibility. But somehow, in his wisdom, he says, if we pull out the tares, we can disrupt the wheat. Now, we know in the natural that's certainly possible. We can do that. But he's looking at this. He's, this is his parable. He's teaching what he wants to teach. But these are parables of warning. And this is the first warning that he gives. Expect that in the, in the field that the Son of Man sowed. This is not a field that you sow. This is a field that the Son of Man sowed that will be harvested at the end of the age. In this field, these things will be. But that's all right. Don't you fret about it. Don't you worry about it. He then goes on and tells another parable. And said another parable he puts forth to them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and sowed in his field, which indeed is the least of all the seeds, but when it is grown, it is greater than the herbs and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and nest in its branches. 
Now, of course, many people have taught about how wonderful this is that the that the seed of faith, which is so small, will grow up to be something so large. You've all heard teachings like that. How wonderful it is that the seed, just a little tiny seed, just a small mustard seed becomes something so huge. And this is how your faith grows. It starts out really small and becomes super huge and, and so big. And it's just a beautiful picture. It's like a rock, Norman Rockwell painting out there. Here come the birds. I mean, the birds are coming in there, sitting in there in the tree and just having a good old time. And it just, oh, it just seems so picture perfect. But this is not at all what Jesus was teaching. And all you had to do was read the passage to figure it out. You didn't have to get into the Greek. You didn't have to break out other passages of Scripture. You didn't have to do any of those things. All you had to do was read the passage. And remember that Jesus is always a contextual teacher, teaching. In the first one, in the parable of the sower, is He not giving a warning about the enemies that would come to the Word? In the next parable, is He not giving a warning about the enemy that would come and sow tares among the wheat? Then how would this be anything less than a warning? He is giving parables about, of warning. Now, normally a mustard seed grows into a bush. There are no mustard trees. Now, he even says that. He says it right here. Another parable he puts forth to them saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed which a man took and sowed in his field. Up till now, what has the field been? The world, right? And the world is about receiving seed, plural, isn't it? But now we have a seed singular. Is this not different? Which a man took and sowed in his field. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. There is one seed. Which a man took. What man? A man. We don't know what man. Just some man. We know it wasn't the son of man. God didn't, he didn't say it was the son of man. The son of man is sowing seed. Many seed, not a seed. But he took a seed, a mustard seed, and and sowed it in his field. Up till now, the, the field has always been a harvest. And now we have something different. A seed, one mustard seed is planted. Which indeed is the least of all of the seeds. But when it is grown, it is greater than the herbs and becomes a tree. And what? Becomes a tree. But there are no mustard trees. A mustard seed develops into an herb. At best, it is a bush. Not a tree. How many of you all can tell the difference between a tree and a bush? There is a difference between a tree grows straight. A tree has wood. A tree you can make furniture out of. A tree you can chop up and cut up into logs and burn it in your fireplace if you have a fireplace. You can do those things with trees. But bushes you don't do that with. Bushes, it's not worth the time to cut them down and cut them into logs. There's no logs out of a bush. There's a bunch of little tiny branches and they're burned up and gone in no time. But when it is grown, it is greater than the herbs that it came from and becomes a tree. And becomes a tree. Now, the mustard seed... These folks know this because they all know their seeds really well. More of them were farmers than we were. More of them had some dealings with seeds and, you know, they didn't just all run down to the corner market to get all their stuff. They grew a lot of it in their own backyards. They grew a lot of it in their own fields. So they know more about this. So he's speaking to people like they understand these terms a lot more than we do. We, you know, we don't grow stuff anymore. We want mustard. We go on down to the grocery store and we buy a can of mustard. We don't know what it came from. What does the mustard seed look like? 
Unless, of course, you get that spice that says mustard seed. <laughs> then you might know. But otherwise, you don't have a whole lot to do with that. So normally, a mustard seed grows into a bush, not a tree. So what he is saying is that the mustard seed changed its nature and became something it was never intended to be, which was a tree. The tree grew greater than the herbs. Again, an herb is not a tree. An herb is an herb. A tree is a tree. The nature of the plant changed. Is it a good thing for the nature of a plant to change? In a parable? Probably not. That will be a first indication that this is not good. Now, instead of the sowing of the seed in the field, which we've been talking about, we've had two parables already, both of which talked about sowing seed into a field. The sower goes and sows seed, and some fell into this kind of soil, and some fell into this kind of soil, but we're sowing seed into the field. But now, instead of sowing seed into the field, the focus is now to cultivate the tree in the field. we got a whole field for one tree. What do you need for a field to feed a tree for? You don't need that, do you? This is wrong. This is not right. The field is the world. The field is supposed to have received the seed of the Word of God so that people can rise up and become wheat and become part of the harvest. But now we're having the whole field turned into feeding this tree. And the focus now becomes on this tree which grows taller and taller and bigger and bigger. And it gets to be so big that now the birds of the field, they come and nest in it. Well, we saw already, he's in the same context of what he's been teaching. The first parable, he's, he said, the birds came and ate the seed. Were the birds good? No. no, and when he defined it, the birds were the enemy. So the enemy, from the first parable, the parable of the sower, comes and nests in the tree. Is it good when the enemy comes and nests in the tree? This is not a good thing. But again, a mustard seed was never to become a tree. It was to be a bush. A little bush. You get mustard seeds off of it. And, and, but not a tree. This isn't what it's supposed to be. It's changed its nature. In Revelations 18, verse 2, And he cried mightily with a loud voice, saying, Babylon the great is fallen, is fallen, and has become a dwelling place of demons, a prison of every foul spirit, and a cage for every unclean and hated bird. Oh, <laughs> that don't sound so good, does it? Now, I know Jesus sometimes used birds in, as, in a good examples. But in his parables, he always used them representing something bad. Which is why we came up with the phrase, birds are bad. Birds are not good. Birds are bad. So the former enemy to the seed makes its home in the tree. Now what he describes here, and he's describing how this is going to grow between, between when the Son of Man sows the seed, which is during his lifetime here, this is when he sows the seed. And the harvest, which is when he comes back. He is talking about all the stuff that goes on in between. What happens in between all that? We had the Middle Ages. And we had the church that became something it was never intended to be. And not just the Middle Ages, really from the time of Constantine on. We saw the church grow to become something that it never was intended to be. It became a source of power. 
it became a place where they influenced whole governments to do what they wanted them to do. Corrupt people got involved in the church. People who wanted nothing else but to be hungry for power and money saw that they could do this inside the church and put on the robes of bishops and the robes of popes and the robes of cardinals and the robes of priests and dictated to men what they would do and how they would do it and what they would bring them in order for them to have peace with God. They came up with doctrines. In order for you to be absolved of your sin, you must pay this and you must do this. And they were called indulgences. And people had to pay money to priests and to cardinals and such in order to be forgiven of their sins. People had to come to the church and receive communion in order to receive forgiveness of their sins. And one of the things that they would hang over a nation was if you don't do as we wish, we will pull your ability to give communion. Which sent the people in an uproar because they thought we will not be saved then. And so the leaders of those countries bowed down and gave in to the Pope and the Cardinals and the Bishops and the Priests and did as they were instructed and did as they were told. Until one day King Henry came up and said, you know what, I'm fed up with this. No, he didn't do it for good reasons. He did it because he was told some things that he didn't like and they weren't good things he was doing. But whatever the case was, he was the first one who stood up to the Pope and said, I'm not doing what you want. And so instead, I'm going to start my own church and I'm going to have my own Pope and I'm going to have my own Cardinals and I'm going to have my own Bishop. And thus the Church of England was spawned. And now there was competition to the Catholic Church. And the Church would, would again wield this kind of power and the battles would go back and forth. And boy, we could spend some time in here and you could see how evil the Catholic Church had become. I'm not speaking to the Catholic Church now. You have Catholic friends, people in Catholic, not speaking about what they're doing now. I'm talking about what they did before. It was an evil, evil place. And most popes were not God-fearing. They did not worship God. In fact, they were close to being satanic. They messed up the doctrine of the church. They encouraged people to not read the Bible. They began to have church in a language that the people did not understand and to read the Bible so that people could not understand it. They then began to do practices against the Bible because the people didn't know it. They didn't know any better. And they kept the people from knowing it. And they would tell them, the Bible is too hard for you to understand. Your priest will tell you what you need to know. And so the people stopped studying the Word of God. And it didn't go after it anymore. And the church became something it was never intended. And people rose up and rebelled against this because the Word of God has always been true. There has always been wheat in the field. But the, bir the birds who swooped, swooped down before and scooped up the seed now made their home in the church that was to promote the seed, to promote the Word. But they made sure that it didn't grow and that it didn't go anywhere. They kept the people from studying the Word of God. They kept the people from reading the Word of God. And they discouraged anything of that nature at all. They corrupted everything that they possibly could. They, have, they, they would, they would uh, cause their priests to be celibate and the nuns to be celibate. And they found tunnels between the nunneries and the, and the priest places with babies who were killed down in the tunnels because they couldn't come out and have people know what they were doing. It was an atrocious thing. Can you imagine God looking down 
upon those who are supposed to look over His church. And in the tunnels underneath, they're killing babies because that would divulge their sin. It was a horrible place. The church began to rise up and they inflicted their doctrine upon scientists and told scientists what was true and what was not. Much like we're seeing today with the Al Gores of the world telling scientists, this is what you will believe. This is what you will teach. And if you don't teach it, we will pressure you in this way and that way. They did the same thing down there with Newton. They did the same thing with many of the, the, the people who were trying to investigate things. And these were God-fearing men. These were people who sought after God and God gave them wisdom on how the universe worked and how gravity worked and how the stars were formed and things like this. And they weren't allowed to come out and teach it because the church said no. And the church became what it was never intended to. But as we said, there are always, there's always been wheat in the field. But most of those who rose up to defend God were killed. Their books were burned. And all we have written about them is what the tree and the birds in the tree wrote about them. How much truth do you think you got from them? Some of those, places, some of those guys were the Waldensians. Peter Waldo. As far as we know from the Catholic Church, they were heretics. As far as we know from probably what they believed, they were those that modern day charismatic church who went on and worshipped God in spirit and the truth. Martin Luther was the first one who, not the first one, but one who stood up and had some protection simply because he had some, uh, some nobles who had big castles and uh, were able to protect him. But there were people before that. One of the ones I enjoyed hearing about the most was Savonarola who was much like a Martin Luther, except he was far more charismatic. He believed in the gifts of the Holy Spirit and he would prophesy. And he, he had no protection and he ended up being burned by the Catholic Church. Catholic Church during those days, it was horrible. The things that they did in the name of God. The Crusades, many of the things that came out of all that, the oppression of people, the butchering of people, the way they would come out and they would kill groups of people because they weren't this way or they weren't that way. It was horrible stuff. And what Jesus is saying here is that the focus would be on the tree. And that's what it became. The focus was on the church. Let's make the church and its buildings beautiful. That's, this is how we will respond to those that are in authority. This is how we will clothe them. This is how we will reverence them. And they will do no evil and they will do no wrong and you will not speak evil of them. And the Word of God took second place, third place, fourth place, all the way on down. However, it went pretty far down. They weren't really all that mindful of it. When this parable is given by Jesus, it's the parable of warning. And He is not saying that the mustard seed is a beautiful thing and your faith is small and it will grow into something big. He's saying the church will grow and become... He didn't know this was the church yet, but He's sowing the seeds. And these are the seeds that will become the church. They didn't know what it was, but He's telling them this is the lifespan of this thing. And it will become something it was never intended to be. And the birds of the air will come and make their nest in its branches. And that's really what it was. The church became the source of evil, not the ones that would defend against it. He then goes on to this final parable. 
In verse 33, final parable in this part of it here. And then in the parable he spoke to them. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven, which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal till it was all leavened. In the word of God, is leaven good? No, it's not. In Matthew 16, verse 6, Jesus said to them, Take heed and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And they reasoned among themselves, saying, It is because we have taken no bread. But Jesus, being aware of it, said to them, O you of little faith, why do you reason among yourselves? Because you have brought no bread. Do you not yet understand or remember the five loaves of the five thousand and how many baskets you took up? Now the seven loaves of the four thousand and how many large baskets you took up? How is, how is it you do not understand that I do not speak to you concerning bread, but to beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees? Then they understood he did not tell them to beware of the leaven of bread, but of the doctrine of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. A little leaven leavens the whole loaf. And people have come out and from this parable they have said, all you need is just a little bit of the Word of God. All you need is a little bit of the faith. All you need is a little bit of this and it just infiltrates the whole thing. That is not right because leaven does not represent anything good. It has always represented something evil, always represented something bad, especially to the Jewish people. Because during the feast of the Passover, what kind of bread were there to use? Because leaven represented... Sin. A little leaven leavens the, bro the whole loaf. He's saying, keep it out. <laughs> Don't let the leaven in. And false doctrine would work its way in. From the kind, even before then, but certainly from the time of Constantine, Constantine leaven worked its way in. And stuff was legalized in the area of, in the name of Christianity. And stuff was brought in from other pagan religions. And the teaching got all messed up. And suddenly, it was the in thing to be in the church. And so people who didn't want anything to do with it before, now did because it was a position to power. It was a place to be. It says a little leaven leavens the whole thing. The doctrine or teaching of the church would become corrupt is what he's warning them. The doctrine and the teaching of the church would become corrupt. And during all that time, the doctrine and teaching of the church did become corrupt. And those who taught its truth were burned, were killed, were martyred. Their books burned up and destroyed. And every evidence of them was taken away. And it was taught to the people again, don't read the Bible, you can't understand it. It's too much for you. Your priest will tell you what you need to know. You just... Go on and bring your money. Show up at church. Get the, get the uh, sacraments and you'll be saved. As long as you come back every week, bring your money. Get the sacraments. Come on in, pay for some indulgences. He didn't want any of this kind of stuff going on. The doctrine or teaching of the church would become corrupt. These are all warnings that Jesus gave about the church. We should not ever be surprised at what comes against the church because Jesus warned us about it before it ever happened. What's going on today is no different than anything Jesus has said before. Satan will attack by mimicking and corrupting the kingdom's members, nature, and doctrine. He will corrupt the kingdom's members. He will corrupt the kingdom's nature. And he will corrupt the kingdom's doctrine. This is what he will do. He will mimic. He will do whatever it is that he has to do. 
He will corrupt. He will come in and, well, this is just tainted a little bit off this way. This is why you need to know what the Word of God is. You need to read the Word of God on your own. You need to take revelation that you get and go back and meditate on it. Let God reveal more to you so that you know it and that you cannot be led astray. It is that important. Jesus is warning them ahead of time with all these parables. This stuff will come against the church. It is from the enemy. It is not from God. And just because it's happening does not mean God allowed it. Understand the first parable. The man sowed seed into the field while men slept. Not the man. The man is the Son of God. The Son of Man. That is who the man was. The men are those who were to keep care of the church. Keep care of the field. They're the ones who slept. They're the ones. And it doesn't mean that you slept at nighttime. It meant you became somber. You became lazy, slothful. You let stuff get in. Don't let stuff get in. Be on your guard. Doesn't Paul exhort us to do that all the time? Be on your guard. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, is always looking out for ways to get in. He's looking for this. Understand. The kingdom's members, the kingdom's nature, and the kingdom's doctrine are all under attack. But that's all right. We serve the man, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. So be aware and don't let these attacks surprise you. It should not be a surprise to find out that there are tares in the field. We were warned about them. And the fact that they're here just shows you how much God loves you. Because he says, if I take them out, I could hurt some of you folks. And I don't want to do that. So I'm leaving them in. But you be aware they're there. But don't you be bothered by them. Because in the end, we're real good at pulling out tares before we harvest the wheat. Don't you worry about it. So be aware and don't let these attacks deceive you. Don't be deceived. Understand he's after changing the very nature of the tree. And don't let these attacks challenge your belief in God. And that's something that He's always tried to do. Challenge people's belief in God. Well, those people in the church, they're hypocrites. No, there's tares and there's wheat. You speaking of the tares? <laughs> Jesus warned us ahead of time. There would be tares in the church. In the field, there would be tares. We're not hypocrites. Well, they don't love people the way they should. Well, He's going to attack the nature of the church. Well, they're all messed up. One's teaching this, one's teaching that. Well, he's going to attack the doctrine. Don't let this stuff surprise you. This is what the devil wants to do. This is what he will try and do. But thank God his church is always triumphant. And I'll tell you, it must have looked pretty grim, grim there in the Middle Ages. I would not have wanted to be alive. There's absolutely nothing in the Middle Ages ever and all the studying I've done that ever wants me to, wanted me to say, oh, I wish I was born then. <laughs> I am so glad I was never born then. I am so glad I had nothing to do with it. I didn't even want to study it. I love history. I hate that history. Oh, I despise studying that history. I'd rather learn about the ungodly Romans <laughs> and the ungodly Greeks. Far, mother, far rather do that. Folks, I'd, I despise Middle Eastern or uh, Middle Age history so much I would rather learn about ancient Chinese history. And I don't like that history at all. 
the people, the way of their way of life, it's foreign to me. And there just wasn't anything that, you know, so it's so encompassed with, with idolatry and and abusive people. I, I there's nothing I wanted to see about that. I don't I don't care about all that sort of stuff. Middle Ages were a dark, dark time. Dark time. But God warned us about it before it ever got here. He told us these kind of things will be happening. But he taught it in parables. And some people have missed it. And some people, well-intentioned as they were, talk about how great the mustard seed is. <laughs> Starts out so small and becomes this great tree in the field. <laughs> well, no, that's not what Jesus is exactly doing. He's warning. Jesus is consistent. He doesn't give warnings and then do something. He's, he, he does things in sequence. And this is what He's trying to get people to understand. So God will help us out with that. Don't let all these things go on. If you have someone next to you and you think they're a tear, <laughs> try and convert them to a wheat. <laughs> but don't you go doing something that God says don't do. Don't you go trying to remove tears. Because you probably can't tell the tear between. The angels can tell real good. Apparently they know real well how to tell the difference between angel, between tares and, and uh, wheat. But it doesn't really talk about us being able to do that ourselves. So we let that go and we try and uh, get those tares to become wheat if they are our tares or do something along those lines. Fortunately for people, all you have to do to become uh, wheat is repent. That's all you got to do. Accept the real the real seed of the Word of God. And you can become wheat. Not so much for tares and wheat. They don't quite work that the same way, but we can certainly do that. Father, we thank You for Your Word. Thank You for the help that You give us to understand it. Thank You for the warning that You gave us. None of the things that are happening today should take should catch us by surprise. We are aware that tares and wheat would be in the field, but You had nothing to do with the tares. That the nature of the church would become something that was never intended to become, but that had nothing to do with you. That Satan even made his home in the very branches of the church, but that had nothing to do with you. Father, he, even the teaching of the church became corrupted, but again, that had nothing to do with you. All through history, you have always had those who have followed after you. From one group to another, and these people were willing to die for their faith. They were willing to preach the Word even though this huge tree was out there with birds in its branches ready to pounce down upon them for speaking anything against them, for trying to sow any kind of seed into the field. They were ready to pounce on anyone who would sow. But they sowed. And they continued to preach. And all through history, you have always had a true church here. We thank you, Father, for the way that wheat has always preserved until the end time when you will harvest it, bring in a great harvest. But the tares will have nothing to do with it. They will be taken away and they will be burned. We're thankful, Father, to be part of the wheat and be sowing seed into the world. We thank you for what we know of your word how easy, we can, how easy it is for us to just keep on going and selling because our focus is on what you told us to do and not on these other things. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Amen. Mm -hmm.
The kingdom of heaven is like leaven. Yes. This is the kingdom. This is the kingdom he put down on here. This is the kingdom. This is what we'll, we'll become. The leaven is infiltrating the kingdom of heaven that is down here on this earth that we are a part of. Okay. That's a good question. I, I get you. No, 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 no. Oh, I got you. I got you. Yeah. No, 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 no. 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 He's he's speaking of the kingdom that we are a part of down here on the earth. Now we got it. Good question. I'm glad that wasn't uh, less to be unclear. <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. No, the tares have already been sown. The tares have already been sown. The tares are in the field. Once the tares are in the field, there's no getting them out because he said, leave them go. <laughs> yeah, some more than others. <laughs> but no, there's, there's, we're looking at the, we're, we're not looking at individual churches. We're looking at the field. Yeah, if he was talking about Zoe Christian Fellowship, he said, well, you guys are fine. But, you know, he's, he's talking about first church or whatever, and, you know, they'll get to be involved now. <laughs> yeah, he's, no, he's, um, yeah, just whatever is called the kingdom of heaven, whatever is called the church, whatever is called the, down here on this earth, that's what he's looking. He's looking at the whole field. And individual churches do not make up a field here, a field here, and a field here. It is one field. So that's really where, he, where he's 